0: Welcome everyone to Vagina Talk Podcast. We are Dr. Alexis May Kimball and I am Dr. David Kimball. We're
1: two double-boarded female pelvic reconstructive and cosmetic surgeons.
0: This is the podcast where we have honest conversations and discuss important and often misunderstood topics. Our goal isn't just to answer taboo questions or probe into taboo-related issues, but it's really to promote healthy discussions. Hopefully that'll lead to healthier lifestyles. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, Vagina Talk, uh, by Drs. Kimball. I'm Dr. David Kimball. This is my beautiful wife, Dr. Alexis May Kimball. And today we're actually um, kind of venturing out on our next episode for our podcast. Uh, we very much want to introduce Dr. Puja Agrawal, um, who is a neurologist board certified, a neuroscientist, but most importantly, she is a burnout expert and a growth mindset expert. So this is a topic, Okay, maybe it's not specifically related to the vagina, but it's about wellness and wholeness as a woman, a person in general. Um, I think all of us are at risk for burnout in our careers, whether you work inside the home or you work outside the home. That's irrespective.
1: Absolutely. And burnout, obviously, if it affects you in other parts of your body, the vagina is such a sensitive place in our center that it would definitely affect a lot of the conditions surrounding it as well.
0: So we actually chose Dr. Um, Pooja Agarwal because of her life journey experiences. She actually had significant challenges with burnout. And as a result of that, instead of succumbing to the effects of the burnout, she actually transformed her life. And she completely changed her career to where now her focus is on helping younger physicians, female physicians, who are experiencing some of the challenges with being a mother, right. a surgeon, a scientist, right?
1: Right. Medical professional with navigating some of these issues in a different climate that all women, especially professional women, are encounter are facing and encountering and challenged by.
0: So this really applies to everybody, myself included, even though obviously I don't have a vagina. <laughs> but, you know, we all live very fast-paced lives. Right. It's filled with chaos and constant chatter. And, you know, sometimes you get overwhelmed. And you're like, I don't know what to do. So listen carefully, take notes, she all is. these tips and tricks that she's talking about apply to me, to my wife, to yeah. everybody.
1: She's full of wonderful sort of um, tips and advice and just a wealth of information that we could certainly all benefit from.
0: Yeah, so this podcast is not just fun, it's super educational. Right. So without further delay, we warmly welcome Dr. Pooja Agarwal.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story and sort of how you took this direction in your career?
2: Yeah. So um, I'm a neurologist by training. I did my medical school in a six-year combined undergrad MD program in Ohio. I did residency and then fellowship and then became an attending. You know, when you're in medical school, everything is set out for you. You know, you do, you know, you're going to do residency and then a fellowship typically, and then you practice and you become an attending I feel like there's a, there's this arrival fallacy that once you get there, that everything will be great playing just to like
1: our audience, like what an attending is, because they might really understand what that means.
2: Yeah. So an attending doctor is somebody who has done their training, including um, medical school, residency and a fellowship or fellowship is training after a residency for more um, specialization. And so an attending is somebody who is fully licensed to practice um, without any oversight from another physician. And um, so they're able to practice on their own and um so i feel like once you know i always had this theory that once i become an attending that everything will be great in life and i think once i got to be in it, being an attending it wasn't like that um you know again there's nobody to right. for oversight for you and right. then um a whole new set of challenges really like yes. new frontier like learning all these new things yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, m- my burden was, is I was like, well, I can take call. And I thought like, I'm a new attending call will be fine. And I just agreed to call. I think no matter what call I, I was given, I was just like, okay, um, I can do it. That's and then- because we're
1: so ingrained in our training to say yes, to work hard, to not even think about what it's costing us personally. That it's like, we're, I don't even want to say we're institutionalized, but in a sense we are, that we don't really know that there's like light at the end of the tunnel where you could
2: breathe and kind of and like, you have a little
0: bit of control of your own schedule and right. you should exercise that control in your life. So you have a bit of a work-life balance. You're never taught that in med school or your residency. There's no work-life balance. There's just even, work.
1: Yeah. Like you don't even think like, oh, I'm just going to have time just, you know, kind of take my time doing something. It's
0: always like,
2: I'm going to try to squeeze everything in.
0: So what kind of happened to you when you entered into this attending? Yeah. Show?
2: Yeah. So, um, again, I was just excited to take on new things. The first year was fine. The second year was fine, but then it was kind of in my third and fourth year practicing full time that I started experiencing burnout myself. And, um, this was in the first five years after getting out of residency or my fellowship that I started experiencing this burnout. And, um, for those of you out there who don't really know what burnout is, it's just um, it is defined by the World Health Organization as chronic workplace stress that's not managed well. And um, for me, the most common reason for or the reason why I had burnout was lack of autonomy. Um, I think I was always a people pleaser, willing to say yes because I was afraid of saying no. <laughs> And being a new attending, obviously, you don't want to ruffle any feathers. You want to please people. And so I didn't want to upset my chairman. And so I just was like, okay, let's just do call. And so um, I had back to back call a couple of weeks at a time. And for those of you who are listening, you don't really know what call entails for a doctor. It's being (laughs) on call 24-7. And, you know, it could be one week and sometimes two weeks. So I was on two weeks at a time.
0: That's a long time to be on call.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much like you don't see anything but the hospital and your commute to the hospital. <laughs> so exactly. And it's not even just the, you know, being in the hospital, seeing the hospital, it's the calls in the middle of the night. Yeah. So, it's you know, sleep, right? Yeah. Yeah. So getting called a few times a night at least to do to read something called EEGs or electroencephalograms for brain waves to look at people who had seizures. So those take time to read, a couple hours sometimes to read EEGs or continuous EEGs. And that consistent um, waking up just really over time led to me experiencing that burnout. And, you know, again, working long hours at work and not giving much at home.
1: Now, what do you think is different between the burnout that you're describing as an attending where you would think that you would have a little bit more um, ability to sort of kind of anticipate that versus like in training? Did you experience that in training or what was it like for
2: you at that time? So I feel like in training, you know, it's expected. We know we have to be on call every fourth night, or we know we have to do this in order to get to being attending. But, you know, once you're in attending, there is no backup, you know, the buck stops with you. And, um, I think obviously, you know, there, there are patients out there and I was working I was on call for large hospitals, you know, some of them were a thousand beds for EEG. Some of them were like a few hundred um, bed hospitals for neurology call for acute strokes and things like that. And, you know, with all those emergencies, you can be called anytime, time, day or night. And then it's also like this fear of being called like, oh, well my, you know, my page is going to go off or my phone's going to go off. And it's just like that kind so, of, yeah.
0: PTSD.
2: <laughs> <Anxieties>. <laughs> yeah, don't summon
1: the forces like we start. Yeah, I mean, you start thinking all sorts of things for sure. um
0: Well, tell us a little bit about now that you reflect back upon that experience. What were some of the early signs of burnout for you? And kind of, you know, what would you recommend to upcoming, you know, residents, fellows who are going to become attendings, how to look for and tease out those early signs of burnout
2: or even
1: anticipate
2: it? So the early signs of burnout typically include um, having uh, difficulty sleeping or insomnia, chronic exhaustion, waking up exhausted, going to bed exhausted. Um, for some people, it could be social isolation or withdrawal, not doing what they used to do um, in terms of being with family or being social with friends. And, um, and other people it could be turning to alcohol or to um. People, other people could be food, trying to do something called buffering, or trying to avoid feeling a certain way. Um, and for other people, it could be, you know, resentment towards work. You know, for me, it was a, a point of resentment towards patients. Just being at work was something I didn't want to do. And job dispatch, dissatisfaction over time can definitely develop in burnout. So those are some of the common si- signs and symptoms. But again, every person is different.
0: Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So when you kind of started to experience this, how did that lead you into this journey where you became certified as a burnout expert and growth correct. mindset expert? Yes,
2: correct. Yeah. So um, so I'm a neurologist by training. I know everything about the brain in terms of pathology, all of the, the pathways of the brain and the spinal cord. But that mind aspect is something I was not obviously very in tune with. So when I was experiencing that burnout, I came, I kind of had this aha moment where I can't continue like this. I had two little kids and I was like, I'm really negative. I'm pessimistic. And I think that can happen in medicine quite easily. And so I actually hired a coach. Um, I thought, well, I definitely felt like I had anxiety, but I felt like seeing a doctor or seeing a counselor wasn't for me. Um, What I did is I hired a coach. Um, And, you know, there's a big wave among female physicians right now to to coach and to help um, female physicians and other physicians with um, burnout and just with mindset and looking at things in a different way, which I think is so beneficial. And I don't think it's surprising that there's
1: a trend towards that only because I feel like as females there we're entering we've entered the workplace. We have very high powered professions, careers, a lot of demands on us personally and professionally. And, you know, our predecessors really didn't like have sort of a, like a plan for us. So I think we're just figuring this out and coaches like you come along and sort of are helping us navigate these waters. So it's interesting. And it seems apropos that right now coaches are sort of like very present, especially like, you know, merging with a lot of professionals because we do need the support, whether it was at home or even us trying to like go outside the doors
2: yes definitely so my coach helped me with my mindset to help change the way i looked at things um i used to be very negative and our brain is just naturally um negative we weigh the negative more than we do the positive it's those neural pathways that are built in and then my coach helped me to become more self aware in terms of what i was thinking what i was feeling and it was basically why well, i started journaling practicing gratitude and so it's a habit that i started practicing daily And then over the next couple of months, I started noticing significant changes. So um, when we practice new habits, those then become more subconscious over time. Our brain builds new neural pathways and it just becomes more automatic. So then once I started experiencing that change with gratitude, with journaling, becoming more self-aware, my life started changing. Um, I was much more positive. I was much more, I had a better mood. I was taking better care of myself. It was a snowball effect. Everything just kind of fell in place naturally then.
1: How did your family respond to that? Did they notice it too?
2: Yeah, definitely. um, Kids, spouse, husband, who's also a physician, but like other family members commented on too, that there was a significant change. And um, so that was like in 2017 that I hired the coach, but it wasn't until the pandemic hit last year that I actually decided to become a certified coach. Because I realized that with the pandemic burnout has just increased so much. I mean, if you look at all the reports for doctors, Medscape and and all of that, it's just increased significantly with COVID. And so I certified at the Life Coach School last year in 2021. I started my business, Zenful Brain Coaching. And so now um, I use a neuroscience-based approach to help my clients, usually female professionals, a lot of them physicians, and coach them on a mindset, the same as I was coached. mindfulness becoming self-aware, practicing gratitude, journaling, helping them implement that self-care that is so important, um, including sleep, um, exercise, nutrition, and all of that. And I go through all of that with my clients.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now, in your experience, do you find that there's a difference in the style of practice and the risk of burnout or changes in kind of your growth mindset, whether you're in a solo practice, group practice, (laughs) But say you work for a hospital, you work for a, um, HMO, Kaiser Permanente, or some organization as such. Do you think there's a difference?
2: <laughs> um, I don't think it, that I've found that it's one specifically. I think it really depends on the person, what the situation is. You know, is there lack of autonomy? Are there high work demands, and how is that person able to handle it? Is there? Um, I'm not sure if you know of like Christina Maslock, She's a neuropsychologist, a researcher in burnout. She, she was a, I think she's a Stanford professor or was at least at one point, she, she named six different causes of burnout. So um, the first is lack of autonomy. You know, is there a perceived lack of autonomy? Um, is there a perceived lack of fairness? Are you being treated fairly or do you feel like you're being treat, treated fairly? And then she also mentioned um, what is the community like? Are you, are, are your colleagues supportive? Is your boss supportive? So. It, that's another thing that contributes. There's a few more, but it really depends upon, you know, what the person is experiencing in addition to what's actually happening in terms of their workload and their boss and what their community is like at work.
1: Do you find that among certain medical professionals, and specialties that one is more predisposed to burnout than another?
2: I think it does thus far from what I've seen from Medscape articles is that, you know, critical care, um, Pulmonary physicians, I mean, they're, they're on the front lines, ER doctors with the pandemic I think that they've had the highest uh, rates of burnout. Oh, totally. And that, I mean, even after that, then like hospitalists, internal medicine, FP, and then, you know, it goes down from there, but I think really ER and critical care physicians. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I know when we were, when I was in training, they talked about OBGYN residents having like a higher risk too, because of the lack of predictability, the lack of control, um, a little bit different than autonomy, but just like not being able to really anticipate what would happen in the course of the day. It's like very, could be very stressful over and over again.
2: I'm sure that could be, I can't, I mean, I'm not an OBGYN, but I'm sure I yeah. can imagine seeing like other people during my OBGYN fellow, or sorry. <laughs> um rotation and seeing, you know, that that you can't predict when a baby's gonna be born. You can't predict any of that and that contributing to burnout.
1: Yeah, it seems so prevalent in the medical profession. Absolutely. Like it's so necessary. Do you do talks at like medical schools or with residents and things like that just to kind of help people learn this skill while they're a trainee versus trying to like get, you know, bombarded with all these things when they're out in practice, feeling like they have to learn a new skill set.
2: Yeah, so I actually just coached. I work part time at um, Orlando Health, and I coach some of the residents there. Um, so it's uh, clinical medicine. I practice a little bit of that and coaching them about you know mindset and work life balance. And I'm actually going to be speaking at the American Academy of Neurology National Conference this year in, in a few weeks in Seattle to residents, program directors, and people like that about burnout and preventing it.
1: Yeah. So what would what would be a piece of advice you would give like a resident something easy for them to do? They don't say so like they couldn't hire a coach. They couldn't figure that out in their schedule. Um, their family doesn't understand why they need more help because they're supposed to be able to handle it. What would you tell them they could like something they could do within reach um, to kind of minimize that risk?
2: What I would really recommend is um, a simple exercise. It doesn't have to be much walking for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. If you're on call, if you're able to take five, 10 minutes to go outside, get some fresh air that can help. Um, Or the other thing that I also recommend with my clients is breath work or meditation. Um, Just taking a few minutes, focusing on taking a deep breath in a deep breath out and just being in tune with the breath and trying to clear your mind that can help tremendously. Um, so those are a couple things. And then the other thing that, you know, you could focus on is eating well, eating healthy. Um, those are a couple things that you can do. And then the other thing is journaling. Journaling really helps you to become more in tune with what you're thinking, how you're feeling, and you're getting it from your brain onto paper. And you can actually see with your eyes and our brains respond to it better. And that also helps with stress relief.
1: Do you also help like when one of your clients sort of takes on some of these practices and they undergo like a transformation, um, do you support them and sort of in the process of sort of helping those external to them sort of understand their change and what they need and how to support that and just yes, have to do it?
2: Yeah, so it definitely, I mean, a mindfulness is something how... What does that mean, being mindful? So mindful means being present in the moment without judging yourself. So that could be, for a lot of people, it's so normal to judge ourselves, to think, well, I made a mistake and be negative about it instead of showing ourselves self-love or self-compassion. So what I do with my That's clients so is...
1: <laughs> <it's> so true. I guess <laughs> <laughs> like doctors is bad, right? As surgeons, as parents, it's just, oh, absolutely. yeah, I mean, it just goes on and on.
2: with my clients i really help them to explain to their family members what they are learning actually sometimes some of my clients will do it with their kids or their spouse do the journaling or practice gratitude they'll do it as a family so then they're all experiencing some of that change And then for some of them, I've even, you know, with my, I have two little kids, I've talked about mindset, you know, a growth mindset. Um, You know, there was a researcher, Carol Dweck, she talked about a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And I started talking about that with my kids. And some of my clients are talking about mindset with their kids. And it's just incorporating your family into it makes even much better because they can learn what you're learning. And I found with my kids, they like to do that. And they actually recorded a podcast with me about mindset.
1: That is so great.
2: That's wonderful. How's it changed your family dynamics? Like with your
1: spouse and I mean, obviously with your kids, you just spoke about, but how has it changed your dynamics overall?
2: So I'm showing up so much better in my life um, as a mom, as a wife, as a doctor, you know, and just even for myself, I'm showing up better, Um, you know, better self-care. I'm better able to put in boundaries. If there is something that I don't want to do or it doesn't align with who I am, I say no. Good for you. (laughs) How many years and all that effort to say no? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I especially think female doctors, it's harder to say no. And so learning that ability to say no and, you know, saying that, you know, no is a complete sentence. And so saying that no and being okay with it, it takes time and effort to learn. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it really does. That goes probably back to the pleasing and not wanting to upset anyone and sort of putting our, you know, blood,
2: sweat and tears and everything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: I think ultimately, um, It should come back to the grassroots and hopefully with you kind of working in Seattle and kind of getting this out into the community and the medical community, we can start to go back to training in medical school, residency programs as part of the core curriculum to recognize the signs of burnout. Prevention is worth a pound of cure always in any regard. So if we can help prevent people from even experiencing the early onset of burnout, they're going to have a much better career. They're going to enjoy their life a lot better. They're going to be like you said, I'm a better doctor. I'm a better person. Yeah. I will tell you, when I became chief of Eurogyne at Albany Medical Center up in upstate New York, um, the nurses the first year of Christmas bought me this looks like the Staples button and it, it, it's called a no button. It's no, absolutely not. I will not do it. Every Don't ask me no. again. Yeah, because I was the type of person that never said no. Yeah. You know, I, you need to take care of this. You need to do an extra surgery. Can you do this? Can you see this patient? She showed up, you know, for the wrong day for appointment. Absolutely. Of course. So I fully get the fact that as, you know, surgeons, as physicians, we're just innately trained to always say yes, to always give ourselves away.
1: It's almost like we're expected to do that. You know, like even during like the pandemic, it was a lot of people were like, you guys are going to work We're like Yeah. We're expected to go to work. All the, all the rules don't apply to doctors. We show up. If there's a fire, we show up like in California, you know, they need us. They're going to call us. So when there's an emergency, it's like, we are there regardless if there's rain, sleet, shine, fire floods, COVID (laughs) and there's no excuse. And it's like, you know, I think that expectation has been just such a long, long, long tradition in medicine, females, in some males. And I think it's really, really good sort of just to kind of dismantle that and kind of say, Hey, like sometimes we need to turn it back on ourselves and say like, let's love ourselves for once so that we can love other people. I think it's amazing that you took that step and kind of like are sharing that, that those skills, those raw skills that we all need to like be high performers. Yeah. And even for our patients, I think they would benefit from hearing that. You know, it's not just patients struggling with trying to manage their family, multi-generational families, and kind of putting themselves last that, you know, even as professionals, we kind of share some of those same struggles. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. I think it makes us more human as doctors. Yeah. You know, that we struggle too.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like, wow, really burnout? Seriously? <laughs>
0: So Dr. Agarwal, as we kind of start to you know, wind up the podcast episode, is there anything else you would like to impart upon our audience or information you want to provide? Please feel free to do so.
2: Yeah, so if any of your listeners are listening right now, you can find me on my website. It's www.zenfulbrain.com. That's Z-E-N-F-U-L-B-R-A-I-N.com. You can schedule a free strategy call with me, but also really um, for anybody listening, If you want to change something in your life right now, do it because there's never going to be a right time, you know, a year down the line, two years down the line, it's never going to be the right time. So if you want to change something now and make your life different, or you want to change your life for the better, do it now.
0: Fantastic advice. (laughs)
2: Love
1: the name of your website.
0: (laughs) Yes, truly.
1: (laughs) Anyway, it's been such a pleasure talking with you, learning more about
2: you.
0: And we look forward to having you on a future podcast and kind of sharing, you know, what's happened over the course of time.
2: Great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Vagina Talk Podcast. If you want to learn more, you can find us on our web, www.kimblecenterforpelvicwellness.com. See you next
2: time.
0: Bye.